Good morning. Uh, thanks for being here this morning, whether you're with us in the sanctuary or with us online. Thanks for uh, worshiping with us. It is uh, indeed a joy and a privilege for us to be together and uh, worshiping the Lord together. If you're a visitor, either here or online, again, please uh, let us know of your presence. Make yourself known to us. If you've been here a while and you see someone in worship you haven't seen, uh, Lord knows if they're a visitor or not, right? Because we all feel like visitors these days. But uh, take the risk and, and introduce yourself. Uh, and if you're online, please uh, reach out to someone, perhaps someone you wish you had seen, hadn't seen in months. Uh, give them a call. Uh, send them an email, whatever. Reach out to that person that you normally would have seen if you're here in worship but haven't been able to see lately. We are continuing in our Gospel of Mark, and we are in Mark chapter 11. And we'll be beginning with verse 20. Let me just set the context for this. On, uh, we are in the last week of Jesus' life. On the Monday after Palm Sunday, Jesus walked into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and on the way he saw a healthy fig tree full of leaves, but when he went to look for a fig, all he found were leaves. And he says, may no one ever, ever eat fruit from you again. And then in verse 15, Jesus enters the temple and drove out those who were selling and buying in the court of the Gentiles. He overturned the tables of the money changers, and then he went back home. And our text begins with Jesus and the disciples walking back into Jerusalem the next day on Tuesday, the Tuesday after Palm Sunday and before Good Friday. Listen then to God's word to us. Mark 11, beginning verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Goody's uh, excellent joke-telling last week has inspired me to start off my sermon with a joke this morning. Knock, knock. Mark. Mark and Sandwich, that's who. Thanks for laughing, those of you who chose to laugh. I appreciate that. Because I wrote that joke myself. And uh, we looked last week at this Mark and Sandwich in chapter 11, where the Two slices of bread were the stories about the fig tree. The one slice was Jesus not finding anything on the fig tree and, but leaves and cursing it. And the other slice of bread is the next day, Jesus and the disciples walking past the same fig tree that has now withered away to its roots. And between these two stories, these two slices, is the story of Jesus judging the temple. Mark puts these two stories together to help interpret them. Goody showed us how what Jesus did in the temple is made clear by his acted parable of cursing the fig tree. Well, our text this morning elaborates on the, on the sandwich. If our Markin sandwich is a roast beef sandwich, with the roast beef being the judging of the temple, 
then the condiment on the sandwich is some spicy horseradish, right? Peter notices the spicy horseradish. This spicy horseradish is that when Jesus prays, a fig tree dies. Peter is amazed. We are amazed. This miracle feels different to us. It seems out of character for Jesus. But it makes sense when we see it as an illustration of what he will do in the temple. But there is still this small detail of the tree actually, the tree actually died in a day, withered away to its roots. There is the question of what it means that we talked about last week. But it still leaves the question of how. How did Jesus do that? How does prayer work? This story raises several questions. And our sermon is organized around four questions. Before we look at the first question, let me commend to you a little book. It's simply entitled Prayer. It's written by O. Housby, a Norwegian Christian. Uh, it's been a faithful guide for me in my prayer life for over 40 years. Uh, he died about 60 years ago. Let me commend it to you. It's a, it's a great read. But our first question then is, what is prayer? Prayer is not defined by the words we speak. Prayer can be without words. Prayer is an attitude of the heart. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Prayer is opening the door to Jesus, is responding to his invitation, his knocking. It is Zacchaeus responding to Jesus' invitation to come to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus is knocking, and prayer is saying to Jesus, please, please, come in. It's the messenger, but please, do come in. Our second question is what is needed in prayer? What is needed for us to enter into prayer? And there are two things that are needed. Our text gives us one of them. That is faith. But, but before we look at that, there is something else that is needed. The second thing that is needed is faith, but the first thing that is needed for prayer is a realization of our own helplessness. Prayer is for the helpless. Only those who are helpless can truly pray. Prayer, then, consists, simply consists of us day by day telling God in what ways we are helpless. Now, the best thing for your prayer life is to love. When I decided to love Kim, I quickly realized how helpless I am, how helpless I am to change, to be different, how helpless I am to really love her well. And Jesus is, is at the door, knocking. I'm saying, yes, Jesus, come in. It's a mess in here. Can you fix this? The best thing for my prayer life was to become a dad. How do I do no harm to my children? How do I teach them what they need to know? How do I protect them? How do I not screw up their image of God as their father by my being their father? In helplessness, we cry out to God. The best thing for our prayer life is love. If we love our neighbors in Durham, we quickly are aware of our helplessness. If we love our roommate, our classmates in school, 
if we get to know them and genuinely care for them, we'll be drawn into helplessness and we'll cry out in prayer, if only in groans and unutterable sighs. We need to know our helplessness, but we also need to have faith. But what does that even mean? Have faith. I've struggled with that my whole Christian life. It's a phrase that sounds good, right? Have faith, have faith. It has no meaning unless we spell it out. Faith, when it comes to prayer, means simply coming to Christ. It's simply coming to Christ and telling him how we are helpless. It is letting him know our need. How much faith do we need? In Matthew 17, Jesus says we need faith the size of a mustard seed, just a tiny bit. Faith the size of a mustard seed is when I trust Jesus enough to turn to him in my helplessness. Oh, Halsby says it this way, a living faith sees its own need, acknowledges its own helplessness, goes to Jesus, tells him just how bad things are, and leaves everything to him. We have enough faith when we, we in our helplessness, turn to Jesus. Our third question is, what are obstacles to prayer? And I'll mention three. The first is the one Jesus mentions here in our text, and that is doubt. But I want to make a distinction between doubt and unbelief. And Jesus is here talking about unbelief. Unbelief is the willful decision that God cannot help me, that God is either unable or unwilling to help me. If we pray with unbelief, then indeed we are wasting our time. Why are we even coming to God if we don't believe he can do anything? Doubt, on the other hand, is a lack of certainty. Doubt is like the father who brings his son with epilepsy to Jesus, who says, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my son? He's not sure if Jesus can or not. He has doubts. And Jesus says, all things are possible to the one who believes. Remember the father's response? I believe, help my unbelief. He had doubts, but he had enough faith to turn to Jesus. He had enough faith to admit his helplessness and ask for help. Unbelief, indeed, is an obstacle to prayer. But do you see how our doubts might even be a help to us in prayer? Our doubts reveal to us our helplessness, and in that realization, in faith, we turn to Jesus and invite him in to help us, even in our doubt. A second obstacle to prayer is our desire to help God to fulfill our prayer by telling him how to do it. We know the need, and we have already decided what the remedy is to be, and so our prayers are filled with instructions for exactly what God is supposed to do. But God doesn't need our help. He just needs access. We don't have to convince Jesus of why he should help us. We don't have to be emotional enough to convince Jesus to be compassionate. We don't have to be fervent or faithful enough to make Jesus interested in us. He is all of those things already. He just needs access. And the third obstacle is that we forget to pray in Jesus' name. We pray as if it is our faith that determines the success of our prayers. 
or our effort or our feelings or our eloquence in prayer. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe you fail to pray because you feel like your prayers are not eloquent enough. I can't pray those beautiful prayers like the pastor does in church. My prayers don't work because I don't pray for three hours a day like those devoted Christians in Korea do. But we are called to pray in Jesus' name. I'm helpless, unable to come to God, before God in a worthy manner, but we pray in Jesus' name. It is his faith, his faithfulness, his sacrifice for us that enables us to come to God in prayer. Even my stuttering prayers that don't have beautiful metaphors or poetic phrases are taken by Jesus and he uses them to intercede for us. He knows what we need. And then our final question for today, the fourth question, is what is Jesus saying to us? We don't know exactly when the Gospel of Mark was written. We believe it was written shortly either before or soon after the first Jewish-Roman War in A.D. 66 to 70. The result of that war was the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple, the Jewish temple. This was a catastrophic event for Jews and for Jewish Christians. The temple was the center of worship. It was the destination for the three annual Jewish festivals. Its existence ordered their lives physically, spiritually, socially, and it was gone. Jesus is saying the temple and its worship is a barren fig tree. What you need is faith. You don't need a place. You need to respond to Jesus' invitation by his Holy Spirit and let him in. Housby again says it this way. He says, Jesus comes to sinners, awakens them from their sleep and sin, converts them, forgives their sins, and makes them his children. Then he takes the weak hand of the sinner and places it in his own strong, nail-pierced hand and says, come now. I'm going with you all the way and will bring you safe home to heaven. If you ever get into trouble or difficulty, just tell me about it. I will give you without reproach everything you need and more besides, day by day, as long as you live. They had lost the temple, but they and we have gained something so much better, the privilege of turning to Jesus in prayer at any and all times. We, too, have been through a cataclysmic event. Our lives have changed. Our life together has changed. We wish we could go back to normal. We feel more helpless than we ever felt before. Praise God. I don't think we are. We're not more helpless than we were before, but we realize it now more than we ever did it before. These last years have made it so much more obvious how helpless we are, and we praise God. I hope that you have responded to Pastor Mark's invitation to us to pray for Blacknall at 9 in the morning, at noon, and again at 5 p.m. each day, three times a day. Let us, together, wherever we are, cry out in helplessness to Jesus. As we do that, I wonder what he will do. But there's one more thing, one more thing that Jesus is saying to us. 
And that is forgive. Forgive. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It's interesting. In Matthew, when Jesus teaches the Lord, when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he finishes it and then he says the exact same thing. When you are praying, forgive. So your Father in heaven might forgive you. For Jesus, there is this connection between prayer and forgiveness. What is Jesus saying to us? Forgive. For us at Blackmail, we need to forgive. The past several years have been difficult for us. It feels like the fabric of our life together is being stretched, if not pulled apart. We find ourselves getting angry with each other. Forgive one another. We cannot be this community we've been called to be. It must be our community of forgiveness, of being willing to forgive one another. That is Jesus' word to us today. Forgive. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you indeed asking for your help. As we think about these days, the times that we are in, the hurt, the anger, the frustration, the ways that we have felt pulled apart. Lord, we need your help. We need your help for us to be the people you've called us to be. We need your help to be together as your people. We need your help to, to forgive. There are hurts that we have experienced within our life together, within our families, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools. Lord, help us to be people who forgive. And help us to be people, even with our doubts, in faith to turn to you and to ask for your help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.